in Romans chapter 15. We'll start at verse 14, read through verse 21. Uh, last week, uh, Randy set out for you the, um, the previous paragraph that talks about how this one gospel of salvation is for all. It's not confined to the Jews. And uh, in an odd sort of way, Paul writes the letter to Romans uh, to say it's not just for the Gentiles. You know, it's not as though God has two ways of saving people, one for the Jew, one for the Gentile. For the Jew, it's uh, being born Jewish, it's tradition, it's law, it's uh, temple or sacrifice or synagogue, whatever. And then for the Gentiles, then, well, they need a Savior, so uh, Jesus came along to, to save them. No, there's one gospel, and it saves all Jew, Gentile alike. And you remember that from uh, a little while ago when we were in chapter 1. Uh, when Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek or then for the Gentile. So throughout this entire letter, uh, Paul has been presenting the one gospel that saves all. Now in this paragraph that we're uh, looking at today, uh, Paul is sort of teasing that out a little bit. He's saying this, this is why I wrote to you so you would understand my ministry to the Gentiles is not exclusive of the Jews either. You remember Paul had an imaginary friend? Uh, most of you do, but Paul had an imaginary friend when he was writing the letter to the Romans, and he keeps sort of dialoguing back and forth. His imaginary friend was Jewish and a Christian, had come out of the Jewish tradition, loved the Torah, loved the, the, the tradition of Israel, loved the richness of the history of what God had done uh, in the pages of the Old Testament. And so Paul's friend uh, was very much tied into the, to the beauty and the wonder of, of what God had done uh, for the Jewish people. And a lot of what Paul does in the book of Romans is talk with his imaginary friend to say, well, look, uh, you do understand that what God did in the Old Testament with Israel is exactly what we're talking about when we preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That, that this matter of sin isn't confined to Gentiles, but the rank pagan is a sinner and the Jewish a religious person is a sinner, the moral person is a sinner. We're all sinners. And then he quite, quotes Scripture for that in front part of chapter 3, that there's none righteous, no, not one. He says, but in response to that, to the sinfulness of man, both Jew and Gentile, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal his righteousness. And now we're saved by grace, entirely by grace, and that's appropriated by faith. And so Paul has been writing all that uh, to, to sort of help his Jewish friends who are Christians to understand that he hasn't, Paul hasn't in his ministry gone off on a tangent. That's why he sort of talks about his, um, his ministry in the latter part of this paragraph. Um, uh, for example, if you, if you look at verse 17, Paul says, I'm, I'm really proud of what God has done I'm proud of what God has done in my ministry to reach Gentiles. He says in, in 18, I won't speak of anything else, but, but I'm going to talk about what Christ has done in me to win the Gentiles with, with powerful signs and wonders, with the power of the Holy Spirit working out in my life. And so he says, and that's why I start in Jerusalem, but I'm, I'm going out throughout the world and I'm preaching, but I'm, I'm preaching in order that Gentiles would believe. Certainly a lot of Jews came along for the ride and, and were saved as well. But uh, he said, my, my ministry was for those Gentiles. And so he says, that's why I've written this thing. That's why I wrote you a reminder of what the gospel is all about. That's why I'm, I'm doing all these things. So our focal point really in, in, in many ways this morning will be in verse 15 where Paul says, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. I've written to you to remind you what the gospel is all about so that whether you're Jewish or whether you're Christian, you see 
the oneness of God's grace for all who will believe. And then he goes on to talk about that his ministry was primarily to Gentiles, but it, did, it was not exclusive. It, it, exclusive. It wasn't a plan B and there was a plan A. No, it was just all one salvation plan of God's grace. So that's what we'll be looking at a little bit later on is the way God reminds them of the gospel so that they would understand that, okay? So let's look at verse 14. Start reading there and uh, read through verse 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, how I thank you that you surround us with Christian brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that you give to us people around us who are our friends, our confidants, those who walk the journey of life with us. Father, I thank you that you put people in our lives who encourage us and, Father, who chastise us when needed. Father, I thank, I'm thankful that you surround us with a body and a community in which we can see Christ and be challenged to be more like him. And so, Father, I pray that we would not only be grateful, but we would also be faithful. Uh, Father, that we would take seriously our role as your Holy Spirit works in us to encourage others around us. That, Father, we would take seriously that you're bringing us together as one body in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I thank you for the fellowship that we have. I thank you that you provide it. Make us faithful in being useful in your hands to make us strong as one body of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what Jesus could have done if he had post-it notes. I mean, he could have stuck one on Peter that said, slow down. Remember, Jesus is really in charge here. You know? He could have put a post-it note on the, on the deck beams of the boat and it said something like, I'm the master of the storm, don't worry. He could have put all kinds of reminder notes in the lives of the disciples and it would have helped. But you know, actually, when Jesus was talking to his disciples just the night before he was betrayed, one of the things he said to them was this. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and when he gets here, he's going to teach you all things 
and he's going to remind you. You remember that. That's in John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, the Holy Spirit will be God's reminder to you constantly. See, we all need reminders. I need reminders the older I get. And thank you for that reminder of my age. But uh, uh, the older I get, the more reminders I, I need. I mean, you, most of you aren't there yet, but some of you know what I'm talking about. You do the memory check every now and then, right? You, say, you, you try to remember a name. You can't remember the name. I'm not moving until I remember that name. Who was that? Ah, Jonathan. That was his name. That was, I got it now. Okay. And, and it's sort of like a victory when you can, can, can remember names. Uh, but we need those kinds of reminders. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things we haven't forgotten, you know. Just a, a gentle prod that uh, we need to do something and, or make a contact or, or whatever it is. But sometimes we're reminded of things we haven't forgotten. Sometimes we just need a reminder because we really have forgotten. Some people have a terrific gift for reminding people. They're very, very gentle at it. Uh, for example, she doesn't say, you bum, you forgot to take out the trash. After she thinks that to herself, she says, oh, I may have forgotten to buy trash bags. <laughs> message heard, message received, <laughs> you know, and you get up and you take care of it. I mean, there, there, there's a great gift to, to reminding people that way, and we need those reminders uh, quite often. Uh, Paul was talking to a church that needed a reminder, needed to be reminded of, of some things. It's not like they had forgotten it, but they needed to be reminded of those things, sort of like a divine post-it note in their lives. You do know that Christians are responsible for post-it notes. We're the ones responsible for that. You do know that, don't you? Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, there, there was a research scientist. He was working for the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing uh, Corporation, 3M, and he was tasked with coming up with glue. And glue was supposed to bond things together so they don't come apart. And he came up with this glue uh, that would stick things together, but they'd fall apart as soon as you tried to, to take them apart. It had no sticking power. It was the weakest glue anybody had ever invented. Uh, it was some technology called microspheres. I have no idea what microspheres are, uh, but I, I saw that on the website, so it must be true. And, uh, but it was based on that technology, and nobody wanted a glue that wouldn't hold things together. Uh, but it was such interesting chemistry, this research scientist would give lectures on microspheres uh, to the people in the corporation and the, and the, the microsphere community. Uh, well, uh, one time, a fellow researcher, also at 3M, uh, was uh, a member of a church choir. Now you see the connection. He's a member of a church choir, and he always wanted to mark the hymns that they were going to sing in his hymn book. Okay, a hymn book was a book that had <laughs> hymns in it, and it used to be we sang from the hymn book, and so uh, as a choir person, he would have to lead, you know, lead out with the choir. And so he put little pieces of paper in the page where the hymns were. Okay, and, uh, but the, the, the little piece of pieces of paper kept falling out. And he said, wouldn't it be nice if I could just sort of stick the papers in there so they wouldn't fall out? And then he remembered his friend's lecture on microspheres. And he went to him and said, hey, look, I need bookmarks that won't fall out. Can we develop some? He said, sure. They got a batch of glue up, and um, they wanted some paper to put it on. 
And so they went next door to the printing office, and they had just run, uh, finished a run of uh, printing something on yellow paper, you know, that iconic yellow paper f color. Uh, well, he, they just happened to have some of that left over, and so they said, fine, we'll use that. And that's how Post-it notes were invented with that iconic yellow uh, color on that. And the guy used it for his, his uh, uh, bookmarks, but then they started writing notes to each other, and I realized they had a product. And 3M said, yes, you do, but you won't get it <laughs> much money for it because you developed it on company time. You know that story. So anyway, so we, we really can claim credit. So the next time uh, somebody uses a post-it note, you just turn to them and say, you know, you need to praise God for that. <laughs> you need to praise God for that. But we need to be reminded of things. And Paul says in, there in verse 15, he says, on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of a reminder. This was something that, that Paul uh, did quite often um, in, in his writings uh, on several occasions. He said, I'm, I'm writing just to remind you of some things. And he told Timothy in his letters to Timothy, he said, when you're preaching, remind the people of the gospel, remind the people of the love of God, remind the people. And so a lot of the preaching ministry, as Paul viewed it, was a ministry of reminding people about things. Now, a lot of us don't take reminders very well. And I tried to figure that out. At first I thought, well, we resent being reminded of things we haven't forgotten to do. But that's not really true uh, because uh, if it's something we wanted to do or something needs to be done, thanks for the reminder. We get it done. Okay. I think the reason we resent a reminder is when someone reminds us to do something we haven't forgotten to do and we have no intention of ever doing it. We're sort of living in denial. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't, don't bring me out of my denial mechanism and make me face up to it. I mean, if you tell me to do something, I can't tell you I forgot any longer because you reminded me. Thank you very much. We kind of resent that. I think that's one of the reasons people resent preaching sometimes. Um, you know, preaching sort of has a bad connotation in, in, in the secular world. People say things like, don't preach at me. If you ever stop or start talking about, you know, things that ought to be done and things that ought not to be done, and someone says, well, don't preach a sermon at me. And, and, and you always say, well, I apologize. I didn't mean to preach. Hey, I mean to preach. Okay. I was in, in a meeting once with uh, uh, folks, and we were all uh, part of a writing team for Sunday school literature, and the editor was saying, in your writing, don't preach. She said that about three or four times. Don't preach. Finally, I raised my hand. I said to her, you, you don't mind if I, if I uh, uh, point out, though, but I preach for a living. What's wrong with it? <laughs> you know, but we, we resent that. And so often it's not because we're being reminded. It's because we're being reminded of something we don't want to do. So Paul writes to these uh, Christians in Rome and he's writing to them to, to help them understand the, the oneness of the gospel, the gospel for all, Jew and Gentile alike. But he says, I'm, I'm writing this by way of a reminder to you. Not, he, he says, I'm, I'm not giving you anything you didn't know before, but I'm just reminding you of these things because we need to be reminded so often. As we were uh, listening a moment ago to the choir, and just... Uh, um, a, a wondrous line that God gave the treasure of heaven to make a wretch like me, his child. I knew that. You know, I've read that before. I've heard the anthem before. Uh, I, I can probably find verses in the Bible to back it up. 
but I needed to be reminded. And the Holy Spirit just put a post-it note in my heart. Praise God. He was willing to pay the price for us. We need to remind each other so often because we, we forget so often. It's just the, the way human beings are. If you don't repeat things, we start to forget them. That's why in, um, in, in the school settings, uh, you know, what do the teachers have to do for the first two weeks, two months of, of, of the school year? Remind the kids of the things they had, were supposed to have learned last year. You know, uh, they, they, they come into the summer and they have learned everything there is to know, and through the course of the summer, they forget all of it. And so you have to start out for the first couple of weeks and just say, all right, here's a reminder of what we just covered because we need that in front of us in the forefront of our thinking. If we don't repeat it, we lose it. It's why when we gather together for worship, we must lift up the name of Jesus. It's not that we're going to forget it. We're just going to put him off to one side. If all we ever talk about is how to be happy, how to triumph over your problems, and how to have a, 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 a higher bank account and, and, you know, make the dog come when you call. I mean, if that's all we talk about, eventually, you know, and the kids sitting here, they're going to think, well, that's, that's what Christianity is all about. And this Jesus guy, we sort of peripheral. Keep him central high and lifted up in our midst. We need these reminders constantly and all the time. See, Paul said to these Roman Christians, he said, look, I know that you know, and now you know that I know that you know. So just so that you know, here's what he says. Verse 14, look at it. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He says, I look at you guys, and he says, I, I see people, and you're filled with the goodness of God. You're filled with him. You see, when you, when you think about goodness, it's not that Paul's saying, oh, you're really fine people. You're great. You're nice. You're moral people. God's lucky to have you. Um, wow, what a, what a contribution you're making. But rather, Paul is thinking in the way that Jesus taught. You remember when the, when the guy came to Jesus and said, good teacher, I want to ask you a question. He said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Let's just do a little bit of metaphysical analysis here. There is no one good but God. I mean, there's relative goodness among people. Some are better than others. But when you look at the goodness of God and the goodness of, of the human race, there's such a big gap that you can really only say God alone is good. So he said, when you say good teacher, you do understand that God alone is good. You say, I'm a good teacher. Do you want to do the metaphysics here and figure it out what you're saying about who I am? So when Paul says, you're filled with all goodness, he's talking about not some, uh, you know, moral superiority that you have by virtue of your upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. Rather, you have a goodness because you belong to God. You have a goodness because God's Holy Spirit is working in your life. You have a goodness because God is, is transforming how you live and, and what you look like and, and, and what others see in you. That's the kind of goodness Paul's talking about. He says, I'm, I'm convinced that you are filled with that kind of goodness. Not that you're perfect, but that you know the one who is. And so you're just following along. And who God is for you. He says, oh, I'm, I'm filled, I'm convinced you're filled with goodness. And that's why you need to be reminded of it. 
So in Romans 12, you know, remember we were talking about Romans 12 for all this time. In Romans 12, Paul says, all right, here's what goodness means. Here's what looking like Jesus means. You present your life a living sacrifice to God. You're a constant worship service, giving glory to God by how you live. That's what it means to be a good person, Christ in you. And what that's going to mean is that you're loving each other and that you're sacrificing for each other and that you're blessing one another and that you're being obedient and all those kinds of things that we've been talking about as we went through Romans 12 and then 13 and 14, all those things are the outworking of the goodness of people. And Paul writes to them about it. He says, I know you're good, but you need to be reminded. You need to have it set before you again and again. I need those kind of reminders. I need someone to remind me to be what God wants me to be. There are moments when I get distracted. There's moments when I'm tired. There are, frankly, moments when I, I find it real hard to summon the energy to care. And that's the exact point at which God sends a post-it note into my life. And whoever he or she is just says something like, well, you remember God's in charge, don't you? You remember that God is good, don't you? You remember what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, don't you? And with those kinds of reminders, then you're drawn out of self and into being more Christ-like in your behavior. And so Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you, and I see this goodness, and I'm persuaded also that you're filled with knowledge. Now, that's not that they know everything, but they know Jesus. They know the gospel. They know what it is to be transformed by the grace of God. So he says, you're filled with that Knowledge, and I want you to, to be reminded of what that knowledge is all about. You know, one of the things I, I, I probably struggled with when I started out in a preaching ministry was how do, I, how do I talk to these people and tell them something they don't know already? And then I realized, you know, when you preach, you shouldn't tell people things they don't know. You, don't, you shouldn't come up with new things is what I mean. Don't come up with something new. When someone comes up with something new in Christian theology, it's called heresy, all right? There's something called the old, old story. And suddenly you realize that I tell the old, old story because those who know it best are hungry and thirsting to hear it just like the rest. You tell the old, old story again and again and again because it never grows tiresome. And for those of us who know Jesus and we see the beauty of his love and grace and the stories that are told about him, we are never bored, but always eternally excited about who Jesus is. So we tell that old story, not because people lack knowledge, but because we need to be reminded of the knowledge that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, I'm convinced you've got all this goodness floating around in in you. You've got all the knowledge. In other words, you know the theory and you know the application. What you know is being worked out in what you do. You've got word and action, all of this working together. He says, and as a result, you yourselves are able to instruct one another. Now, the Greek word there for instruct one another is not exactly the word you expect. You would expect it to have been something like didasko. Uh, We get our word didactic from it. Um, But didasko is a word that means to teach, you know, just put up the PowerPoint presentation and point out things that need to be known. This word is uh, nutheto, which um, uh, really has the, the idea of getting people to understand and to think through what needs to be known and, and done and, and how to evaluate and think through things. Uh, the word counsel might be used here. You're already able to counsel one another. 
You're already able to, to, to sit down with a brother and sister in Christ and share with them from God's Word what they need to do and what, how, how God's Word applies to their life situation. He says, you're already able to do that. In essence, Paul says, I'm fully persuaded you don't need me. You already have goodness. You already have knowledge. You already have the ability to apply it and to help one another apply it. He says, so I'm convinced you're, you're in pretty good shape. These, these, are, these are very fine folks. Now, Paul has never been to Rome. He doesn't know who uh, most of the Roman Christians. He doesn't know them. He knows a few of them. But most of them he doesn't know. But he says, I've heard about you, and I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. You really are on track. But, this is verse 15. He says, but on some points... I've written to you very boldly to remind you. Paul says, I've been bold in writing to you. Now, boldness is something you have when you're standing firm in the face of opposition. Boldness is what you have when you speak the truth, even though you know it will be rejected by the audience. Boldness is what you have when you're going to bring up an unpleasant subject, but it has to be brought up. Otherwise, it will do uh, more harm and more damage. Boldness is something that, that you have when you stand firm for Christ, though the world stands against you. See, the, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. You remember on the, on the day of Pentecost that the, the believers gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and they were motivated and moved to go out and to proclaim Jesus. And here's what happens. Uh, Simon Peter, who had run away after he denied Jesus three times because he was afraid that they were coming after him, this Peter now, a few weeks later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is standing up in front of the, the citizenry of Jerusalem, and he's saying, you know, God sent his son Jesus. You killed him. God raised him. You need to repent. That's boldness. And so Paul says, I have written to you on some parts boldly because the gospel is a bold message. So Paul said, I'm, I'm writing to remind you boldly about the boldness that we need to have when we proclaim, for example, the wrath of God. You know, the wrath of God is not exactly the most popular subject, at least not in the secular world. I suspect even among Christians, it's not exactly their favorite. Uh, with a few it is, but, you know, that, that's their problem. <laughs> but, you know, if you were starting a church and you were trying to attract people into the room to come, you, you wouldn't say, come and hear all you need to know about the wrath of God. No, you say, you know, why, why don't you come here and find out about how your family can be happy and how you can, you know, do better in life and all those things. You know, but Paul says, I'm going to talk to you about the wrath of God. And I'm going to tell you that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. That the wrath of God is what we merit because of our sin. And that the wrath of God is being poured out upon a creation in rebellion against its creator. So I'm going to tell you about the wrath of God because you need to be reminded of just how serious your situation is apart from the Father. So he was bold in proclaiming the wrath of God. He was bold in proclaiming the universal sin nature of the human race, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that's not a popular subject either, and, and the Jewish listeners, maybe Paul's friend even, were willing to hear that the Gentiles are sinners deserving of judgment, and the Gentiles have violated God's law, but we Jews, we're in pretty good shape here. But Paul in Romans, there at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and into chapter 3, demonstrates the rank pagan, the moralist, even the Jewish religious person, the traditionalist. We are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. He proclaimed the universal nature 
sin nature of the human race. We need to be reminded of that because Jesus didn't come to save us from a few misguided notions and give us a plan. Jesus came to save us from death, and he conquered the grave, and that's where we were. Well, that's why I loved him when we sing, and he's going to call my name, and I'll rise. I'm sorry, I'm just going to worship him a little bit now because, you know, the day's coming. But you know what this world is? This world's just the waiting room. We're just sitting around the waiting room. You know how when you're in the waiting room and you're waiting for your name to be called and the nurse comes out and she calls somebody else's name and you say, ah, I wish she'd called me. And then, you know, uh, and, you know I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting to be called. And finally, they, whoever it is, they, they come out and they stand at the door and they say, all right, Mr. Kempson. I stand up and I go and I say, I rejoice. You know, someday he's going to call my name, and I'm going to get out of this waiting room. And that's just great. We need to be reminded of that. There's a boldness about declaring the grace of God and the necessity for grace for all. I would have thought that everybody would flock to a doctrine of grace. You tell somebody, you know, you're not saved by being good. You're not saved by being righteous or religious. You're not saved by being smart. You're saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to add anything to it. You couldn't if you tried. But it's the grace of God, pure and simple. It is a gift to you. All you do is receive it by faith. I would have thought the people would jump up, hallelujah, give me that grace. But most people say, wait a minute, that's too easy. Wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm better than other people. Most people, you know, they sort of recall from the doctrine of, of the pure grace of God because it, it, it upsets our sense of self-importance and self-reliance. But Paul said, I'm going to remind you boldly about the grace of God. I'm going to remind you boldly that it's accessed by faith and by faith alone. You don't add anything to it. All you do is receive it. Paul said, I'm going to tell you about the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk, tell you about the destiny that God gives believers to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you how your life needs to be changed by Jesus. Paul said, I'm going to boldly tell you that God is sovereign. He is absolute Lord. God is absolutely sovereign in all that he does and all that he decides and all that he chooses and that his election is perfect. I'm going to tell you boldly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, it's not like you didn't know these things, but you need to have them in front of your thinking. You need to, to have it in front of you. That's why, um, you know, in a teaching ministry, I'll, I'll just give you a little insight into the background of this, uh, but in a, in a teaching ministry such as this, you really don't teach people by preaching a sermon on a subject. That's why I really haven't preached a sermon on the Trinity. I think I preached one years ago. But I don't preach a, a, a sermon on, this, on, on the Trinity. What I try to do is remind you every Sunday about the Trinity, that God is glorious and that we worship in the glory of the Father. We come to the, and glorify the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, and that's made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. I hope somewhere in your subconscious you sort of like mutter that in your sleep because that's how it gets into us when we're constantly, constantly reminded about the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I've written to you just on a few things, but I've written to you boldly. I haven't pulled any punches. I want you to be reminded that this is what it means to be saved. And so I guess I want to remind you about the bold gospel of Jesus Christ and that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so this week, the next time you see a post-it note, and I think you probably will, there's over 200 different kinds of post-it notes uh, that 3M manufactures. I know this. I looked it up. You don't need to Google it. (laughs) But the next time you see a post-it note, just say, look what God has done. He's reminded me that Jesus is Lord of my life. He's reminded me that grace constrains me. He's reminded me that I'm a child of God and that his love is flowing through me. He's reminded me that sin is anathema and that righteousness glorifies the Father. The next time you see a post-it note, just glorify God for a moment as he reminds you of who he is and how important he is. If you don't see a post-it note, go buy one. (laughs) Ask me, I'll give you one. Now, look, I don't think I've told you anything you don't know. I just thought you needed to be reminded. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, I just pray that your Holy Spirit indeed would attend to us, that in our lives we would have the power and the wisdom and the courage to live for Jesus. Father, that we would constantly help one another and remind one another to be surrendered, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Father, that you would just work in a mighty and powerful way in our lives. Pray for the folks in this room. Just thank and praise you for them, each and every one. Ask your Holy Spirit to work in the heart as you know is needed, as as you would awaken each one to the power and the boldness of the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.